Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehokaft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into the richness and the beauty of the Christian Catholic faith. And uh, note that I did not say theology of the body. Yes, it is Wednesday, but... As I suggested last week, we are moving out of the topic of theology of the body into another topic. Now remember, Wednesday evenings has always been devoted to special topics, and when we started the new programming, the first special topic was what? Apologetics, right? We probably spent about four or five months in apologetics, and and out from that study, we got into theology of the body, and of course, for an extended period of time, uh, over a year and a half. So here we are, We have just wrapped up a study on Theology of the Body, and now we turn to another topic, um, another special topic. And I think from here on out, our special topics will be uh, more abbreviated series, if you will. And what I thought we can do uh, next is a study on the Our Father. You know, every evening we open up with the prayer, Our Father, yet... We have never hit the pause button to really reflect critically into the prayer, Our Father, that our Lord teaches us. So this is what we are going to do. We are going to use uh, Scott Hahn's Reflections, Understanding Our Father as a kind of mapping guide. We will certainly be drawing from the Catechism of the Catholic Church as part of Pillar 4 is devoted to the Our Father. Now remember, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is broken up into four sections, huh? The first pillar is the creed, what we believe in. Huh? The second pillar is the celebration of the Christian mystery and the sacramental life. The third pillar is about our life in Christ and moral theology. And the fourth, of course, is prayer, spiritual theology. A portion of that fourth pillar, that fourth section, is totally devoted to the Our Father. So we will certainly be drawing from the Catechism as well. Now, what can we say about the Our Father? Well, first, that it is a gospel prayer. <laughs> the Our Father has been called a great number of things, but we can rightfully call it the gospel prayer. You know, it's been also called the model prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Interestingly, some people object to calling it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus committed no trespasses. And so he could not ask forgiveness. He cannot pray this prayer as his own, if you will. Uh, They might call it, that person who is critical of it, the disciples' prayer. Whatever you choose to call it, one thing is certain. It's a prayer of paramount importance, huh? It is the centerpiece of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Not only is this the most famous sermon, It's also the first we find Jesus preaching when we read the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And those three chapters contain one thing we won't find anywhere else in the first four chapters of Matthew. That is God's fatherhood. It's always a fascinating thing, my friends, 
to study the Beatitudes in its many different dimensions. And when you study the Sermon on the Mount in a particular context that you wish to take up, there are so many pearls of wisdom to be gained. And here, it is right to think about the Our Father given to us during the Sermon on the Mount, that most famous sermon. So, from no references at all to the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus proceeds in the course of his Sermon on the Mount to make 17 references to God as who? Father. He evokes many other family images as well, and certainly Scott Hahn talks about this in uh, great length in his work, Understanding Our Father. Those images are what? Marriage, wife, brother, children, house building, and so on. It should come as no surprise to us than that the opening words of the centerpiece prayer of the most famous sermon in history is what but our Father. But again, fatherhood is just the beginning. Family is the context. All of that is quite familiar to us. Indeed, we may have heard it too much, or more precisely, we may have pondered it too little. If so, then we have to start thinking more critically about how we pray when we pray. <laughs> the Our Father. I know I am here in a in a studio, but for all of you faithful listeners out there, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let God see you. How many times have you prayed the Our Father and have not internalized the words that you were praying? In other words, how many of you have just given God lip service when praying the Our Father? I'm raising my hand, right? I'm raising my hand. Again, every single day I start this radio program with the Our Father. And by the grace of God, when I'm on radio, <laughs> I find myself leaning into those words, lest I say something I regret. So let us challenge ourselves, and I throw myself into this challenge to make sure that we are actually internalizing what we are saying, that the prayer might be more enriching and lift us up in faith. You know, it's interesting, often we're tempted to consider the Lord's Prayer as a kind of inspired but uh, ad hoc arrangement, improvised by our Lord on the spot as a quick reply to, at that time, when He was here on earth, an unexpected request. We grant that it's very good, of course, since it came from Jesus Himself, but when it comes to the Our Father, do we trouble ourselves to find a structure or an inner logic in something so spontaneous? If we don't, we would be mistaken, because the Lord's Prayer reflects our Lord's deepest preoccupation on earth, talking with His Father. The prayer moves smoothly from there to His second deepest preoccupation, making His Father our Father too, enabling us, encouraging us to share in His intimate conversation which is constant and habitual. If I've said it once, I've said it I don't know how many times. Prayer is not only conversation with God, but as Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it is to be constant. We are called to pray without ceasing. We are called to share in this conversation perpetually. Without a doubt, the Lord's Prayer 
is more than just a sudden inspiration on our Lord's part. As Scott Hahn notes, it's a long-awaited gift. Indeed, this prayer is itself an answer to a sustained request on the part of humanity. When the disciples turn to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray, we all share in that moment. Indeed, the very desire to pray and the request for instruction were assuredly answers to Jesus' own prayers. Just the other day, I was talking about how our desire for prayer and to be with God ought to match God's desire to be with us, where desire is matching desire. My dear friends, all is grace. All is God prompting us to share in His mystery. And so, yes, we can rightfully say that that request, Lord, teach us to pray, is a grace-filled moment that we are all called to share in. I mean, if Jesus prayed all night before choosing the 12 followers who would be His inner circle of disciples, then He must have been praying for days and weeks that these men would become true disciples. And that couldn't happen without a lot of prayer. And not just Jesus' prayers, but the disciples as well. As Scott Hahn notes, <laughs> the disciples needed prayer more than they needed a walking staff, more than they needed sandals or clothing or, or a wallet or even fish, food, or drink. So they too had to learn how to pray like Jesus in the very words that Jesus would have them pray, in the very way that Jesus himself prayed, which, of course, brings us to the Our Father. The Lord's Prayer, my friends, is beautiful. It is one unified, compact, model prayer consisting, as the Catechism highlights, seven petitions, and as Scott Hahn notes, and I love this, in two parts, the first being Godward, and the second being us-word. Huh? Think about it. The first part is clearly Godward. How? Well, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. And the second half clearly is about us. Huh? Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. The sequence is significant. You've heard me talk about it before in many other contexts, huh? Even in the Beatitudes themselves, as we're kind of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that there's a wonderful sequence of logic behind the Beatitudes. Each Beatitude has you going deeper, deeper, and deeper into the mystery of God. Likewise, there's a wonderful logic to the sequence we find in the Our Father, hmm? because it reverses the instinctive order of how we usually think, the distinctive order of our petitions. When we pray spontaneously, we tend to begin with what? Our troubles, our frustrated desires, and our personal wish list, huh? I mean, how many of you out there pray not our Father, but God, give me this and give me that? God, why did you do this and do that? As opposed to our Father, who art in heaven. Remember that ancient truth we've spoken to so many times, before we can understand what it means to be for other, we must first understand what it means to be in God. 
Before we understand the task, we must first understand the gift. Before we understand the goal, we must first understand our identity in God. Before we make Him known, we first must come to know Him. You see, our Lord turns our world upside down, and in so doing, turns us right side up, but we don't always see it that way. huh? Jesus shows us that we need to be then what? Less self-centered in prayer and more God-centered. Not because God needs our praise and His ego is fragile, but because He's God and we aren't. It's just that simple. In its very sequence, the Our Father is a kind of reorientation into how we ought to live and how we ought to think, especially as it relates to God. Amen to that. Okay, Scott Hahn has a great quote here from an Anglican theologian by the name of Packer, who says, For everything that Christ taught is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. (laughs) I love that. There's another great quote here from Tertullian, who says, The expression God the Father had never been revealed to anyone. When Moses himself asked God who he was, he heard another name. The Father's name has been revealed to us in the Son, for the name Son implies the new name Father. Beautiful. Since the name lay hidden till Jesus, we can say it was new to mankind with the New Testament. But it was not newly coined, for God's name from all eternity is Father. Jesus revealed this at the end of his earthly ministry, huh? When he commanded his disciples to do what? But to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And remember that the better translation is actually baptize into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is a bit more striking. What Jesus named here in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was radically different from anything the world has seen before, or quite frankly, we can also say since. You know, other religions have invoked their gods as father, lowercase f, but they have used the title only in a metaphorical sense, meaning that their god is like a father because he begets them, he guides them, and he provides for them. Jesus praised God as begetter, guide, and provider, but he also, by his own eternal sonship, named God as what? Eternally Father. For Father can be God's name, his personal identity, only if God is Father eternally. This is some of the wisdom that uh, comes to us from the church fathers. I think about the other titles we give God, Creator, Uh, lawgiver, physician. He is creator only after he has created something, huh? So creator is not God's personal identity. He is lawgiver only after he has given a law. So he's not an eternal lawgiver. He is physician only after he has creatures in need of healing. Yet he is father forever, huh? because He eternally generates the Son, and together they breathe forth the Holy Spirit, the bond of their love. And of course, what are we talking about again here? 
but the Trinity. The Trinity is love given, love received, love shared eternally. You know, it's interesting. I, I've gone to conferences and, and healing conferences, and, and I see people uh, blessing one another in the name of the Creator, uh, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. And yes, these are things that God does, but does that define who God is? No, because before God is Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is very important because if we really want to get to the heart of who God is in His very nature, love, we have to appreciate the kind of interpersonal communion that is in the Godhead. Amen to that. Now, the eternal relation of the Father and the Son is not just some aloof metaphor. Indeed, human fatherhood is more like a metaphor for God's eternal fatherhood. Human fatherhood is a created image of God's eternal fatherhood. Now, an image more or less vivid, depending on the sins of the Father. And now I'm speaking to all fathers out there. We have a vocation, a most challenging vocation. That is to radiate the love of God's fatherhood, huh? We share in an extraordinary vocation, I believe. And that vocation is to imitate, to share in God's own fatherhood. And how do we do that best? Well, we lay down our life, huh? This is what Christ teaches us. So if we are going to radiate the fatherhood of God, it starts with the self-gift. It starts with loving, Another great uh, church father, St. Ephraim of Syria, put it well. Earthly fathers are called fathers, but he, capital H, is the true father. The terms father and son by which they have been called are borrowed names that through grace have taught us that there is a single true father and that he has a single true son. God is father to Jesus, who shares his sonship with with us. In the church's uh, ancient phrase, we are made, what, sons in the Son through baptism. We become, quite literally, as 2 Peter 1-4 reminds us, partakers of the divine nature. We are made godlike. That is a, a favorite phrase of the church fathers, that God became man, that man might become more like God, that we might be divinized by the grace of God. It's an extraordinary thing an extraordinary vocation, but something we are all called to share. And certainly, when you start talking about God's fatherhood, all human fathers have to pay close attention to what this looks like. Okay, so we are all made to share in the love Christ shares with the Father. Only when we grasp this can we truly pray what? What's that great psalm? You know, Psalm 23, I shall not want... We will want for nothing because the Lord is not just our shepherd, but also our Father. And someone who lives the life of God ultimately needs nothing other than that life. When we have totally entrusted ourselves to God the Father as children of God first, then, and only then, will we begin to see as we ought. Brothers and sisters, God is our Father because we share in Jesus' sonship. Note that we do not address him as my father, 
but as our Father. You see, by gathering us together in Christ, God has established a universal human family in the church. And this is so important, my friends. There's a wonderful quote here from John Paul II in his letter to the families. He says this, the Father, creator of the universe, and the Word incarnate, the Redeemer of humanity, are the source of this universal openness to all people as brothers and sisters, and they impel us to embrace them in the prayer which begins with the tender words, Our Father. You see, it is our common sonship that gives us the right to address God as a common Father, as what? Our Father. All the remaining words in the Lord's Prayer, indeed, all the truths of the Christian faith can be understood as an elaboration of that very compact opening phrase, Our Father. Amen. What's next? Our Father who art in heaven. And if we want to be Christians, we have no choice but to pray Our Father. When the first disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he taught them using those very words, right? To pray as a Christian means to pray our Father. Yet, as many of us know, the word Father has become a stumbling block for many people. Divorce is common. Birth outside of wedlock. The rise of, of in vitro fertilization. And we live in a country that uh, for a great number of people, Father no longer means provider, teacher, or guardian. It only means an aching absence or maybe worse yet, an abusive presence. That being said, even children who have grown up with a good father are all too aware of his father's defects, problems, and sins. You know, as we talk about this, I, I look in the mirror. I'm a father of four children, and I have to remind myself of my defects, my problems, my sins, and work on them for the sake of my own conversion, yes, of course, but also that I might be the best father that I can possibly be, that I might be the best husband that I can possibly be. I mean, the best intentions of any dad, even those most virtuous, get botched up in execution, huh? What we human fathers wouldn't give our kids, we will do anything for them, huh? But do we always know what they need or what they want? And when we do have it, do we always know how to give it to them without spoiling it? Huh? This is why tradition tells us we must go beyond our earthly experiences and memories of fatherhood when we pray what? The Our Father. For though God is a provider, begetter and protector. He is more unlike than like any other human father. The Catechism puts it this way in paragraph 2779. God our Father transcends the categories of the created world. To impose our own ideas in this area upon Him would be to fabricate idols to adore or pull down. To pray to the Father is to enter into his mystery as he is, and as the Son has revealed him to us. So we ask, how has Jesus, God the Son, revealed the Father to us? 
as our Father who art in heaven. This is that salient verse of prayer that comes to us from Matthew 6, 9. Scott Hahn notes, by adding that prepositional phrase, in heaven, Jesus emphasizes the difference in God's fatherhood, huh? You see, my friends, the Father to whom we pray is not an earthly Father. He is above us. He is the one we profess in the creed as Father Almighty. Though we are weak, limited, and prone to mistakes, we are reminded that in invoking God the Father, nothing is impossible. Huh? Now, Luke reminds us of that in his opening chapter, verse 37. So God's power then sets his fatherhood apart from any fatherhood we have known or imagined. As the Catechism puts it, his fatherhood and power shed light on one another. Unlike earthly fathers, he always has the best intentions for his children, and he always has the ability to carry them out. Jesus wanted us to know this so that we could always approach our Heavenly Father with childlike trust and confidence, huh? What does our Lord tell us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 22? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And how important is that? How many times have we heard it in sacred scripture? Your faith has saved you. The hemorrhaging woman, the blind man, the centurion and the centurion servant. Huh? Your faith has saved you. And so we pray in faith. What's more, the catechism teaches us that God reveals his fatherly omnipotence by the way he takes care of our needs. We just need to trust him, you see. We know God as Father because over a lifetime of prayer, if we pray in faith, we experience his care for us, huh? We come to see for ourselves that he is mighty and that he will deny us nothing that is good for us. We just have to trust. Remember, trust is an act of faith. Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. And so we lean into God. And in so doing, we pray fervently. Anywhere and everywhere we go, that great prayer that our Lord taught us, our Father, who art in heaven. Hmm? Okay, I'm looking up at the clock. We're out of time. We will pick up here next week and continue our reflections into these wonderful petitions of the Our Father that hopefully will make our prayer, Our Father, all that more lively in our heart as we pray it. And so with that, let us close with a word of prayer. Huh? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.